looking forward to a time of communion around this beautiful table here um, in a little bit this morning, but we're going to just, I want to say a few things uh, before we get to that as we continue on in our teaching series, uh, talking about the problem of God. And um, we've we've talked about a number of things over the last number of weeks. We've talked about the problem of God's existence. We've talked about the problem of exclusivism or the fact that Jesus claims to be the only way to God. And how can you make that claim in 2018 Canada? Uh, We've talked about the problem of science or the the seeming battle between faith and science. We've talked about the problem of the Bible. And if you've missed any of those or would like to catch up on any of those, you can go to our website or you can download um, them from the podcast at iTunes as well. But the reason we're doing this series uh, is because you can picture people, and so can I, um, who have gotten stuck in their faith or who have stopped and stepped away from their faith over one of these problems. And so we can think of people, and maybe you can picture them. Maybe you invited them to church today, and they're sitting beside you right now, and it's getting a little bit awkward. Um, But you can picture their faces, Did you know in Canada, when you fill out your census, you're asked uh, about your religion. And one of the options now that you can choose on the census is none. Not like the Catholic none, but none as in none. And did you know that this is the fastest growing category in Canada? Religious nuns. People who say, I have no faith whatsoever. It's gone from 4 to 24% in 40 years. The fastest growing category. And some of these nuns have something in common. Do you know what that is? They were all here at one point. They grew up in church. They went to Sunday school. They went to youth group. They came to vacation Bible school. And now they claim to have no religious connection or no religious faith. And so if that's you today, we're really glad that you're here. If you're helping or walking with someone whom you would like them to discover faith again or or come back to faith again, then we hope that this series is helpful as you have those conversations because we simply want people to take one more step forward, to take a step, to have a conversation, to have coffee with somebody, to read something, to re-engage in this journey of faith again. And so today we're coming to the topic of the stereotype, maybe deserved, maybe kind of deserved, that Christianity is a straitjacket. And if English isn't your first language, a straitjacket is something that kind of constrains you and restricts you. There's this sense that after you kind of come up out of the baptismal tank, you're met with somebody who has a list of do's and don'ts, and it's mostly don'ts. And can I remind you of the list? Maybe you're familiar with this list. Christians don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't steal, they don't gossip about neighbors, just other church people. Christians don't smoke, they don't drink, and they don't do drugs, at least until October 17th. (laughs) Christians don't cuss, they don't play cards, they don't dance, they don't watch R-rated movies, they don't read horoscopes or cross their fingers, and they don't buy lotto tickets. But if you do and you win, then you have to tithe on it, of course. Christians don't put laundry out on the Sabbath, unless you've got a really high fence so no one else can see you. Christians only have sex in order to have babies, and when they do, they don't enjoy it. Christians are suspicious of governments, they're suspicious of school boards, and they're suspicious of anybody who seems to be successful. 
Christians are grumpy neighbors, they throw boring parties, and they're lousy tippers at restaurants. And you know my rule on this, if you're gonna go out to lunch today and you're gonna pray, you have to tip 20%, just the bare minimum. And if you're wearing a Rivercross shirt, you have to tip 30%. That's our rule, okay? Did I miss anything from the list? But the good news is someday we will die and go to heaven. That'll be like an endless church service with a really long Bible study and watered down church group or church juice and no internet. So you've got that to look forward to. Are these the stereotypes? Of course, I'm exaggerating because there are certainly things that we should not do. There are certain things that it's unwise to participate in, but do not seem to be forbidden in Scripture. And there's other things that we're permitted to do, but we should do in moderation. But still, there is this perception. And the part that breaks my heart, and probably breaks yours too, is the irony is that when you read about the life of Jesus Christ, there was nobody who was more fully alive than he. He lived with great joy. He lived with great compassion and love and grace towards people. He lived within certain boundaries and truth and wisdom. But he was completely and fully alive, and he invites you and I to live this same full, joyful life. So I want to talk this morning, I want to talk about four invitations that Christian faith invites you into to kind of push back against this stereotype uh, that Christianity is a straitjacket. So I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6 to 19. Um, if you've got a Bible in front of you, it's on page 1850, and if you're gonna, you can look it up on your phone as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6 through to verse 20. Four invitations. Let me read these verses for you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of your Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God the blessed and the ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever, amen. And then it's like he's got another, like an afterthought. Now, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, and I love this phrase, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. Four invitations I want to point out in this passage before we get to communion. The first is an invitation to contentment. An invitation to contentment. Picture this for a second. You wake up. You realize that you've slept in. The sun is streaming in through your window. You realize that you're all alone. There's nobody home. You pick up your phone. You see that there's absolutely nothing on your calendar for the day. You see a couple of notifications. First is that your... um, Income tax refund has been deposited into your account, which is really large this year because you made a very large gift to the Thanksgiving offering. You also realize that it's payday. You've got the whole day to yourself to do whatever you want to do. Isn't that the definition of happiness today? The ability to do whatever I want to do. No permissions, no obligations, no requirements. I can do it with my time, my body, and my money, whatever I like. This is the much sought-after definition of happiness today, largely in our culture. The problem, of course, with this definition is that it's incredibly fragile, because in a moment, a text message can come and ruin your entire day, can't it? And your happiness will be completely gone. The scriptures would raise our sights from this kind of vision of happiness and invite us into contentment. Contentment is deeper and it's longer. It's the ability to say I had the entire day to myself to do what I wanted, and at the end I was full of joy and peace because of who I am. The greatest paradox of freedom is that we should be able to live without limits or restrictions. But freedom, true freedom, requires limits and restrictions. A fish is more free in the water than it is on land. A fish experiences the greatest freedom in the limitations of water. You today, if you are driving, are more free if you observe the limits and restrictions of those yellow lines on the street. You experience your greatest freedom with those limitations. Tim Keller says it this way, freedom is not the absence of limitations, it's finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. Because God wants you to be free. This is what Jesus was inviting us into. So Paul, in trying to coach these first Christians towards this life of contentment, reminds them with this phrase that we brought nothing into this world and we bring nothing out. Did you notice that in the maternity ward at the hospital, there's no luggage carousels for when the baby's arriving, that all of their stuff is there and you have to go and pick it up and bring it with you? There's nothing Paul is saying it's entirely possible to have the same amount of worldly possessions as a newborn baby and be content, at peace with who you are. And maybe you know people who are trying so desperately to get ahead, trying so desperately to keep up, who believe that if they just had a little bit more, then they would be happy. If we could just get that cottage or get that car or get that raise, then we would be happy. If little Susie would just make it to the next level of basketball or hockey, then. And the pressure that people live under 
and put on themselves just to get that little bit further ahead for that ever-elusive contentment is incredible. And it's heartbreaking at times. You'd think in North America that Thanksgiving Sunday would be the wildest celebration and holiday of the year because we have so much to be thankful for. you think it would go for four or five days and rival Christmas and Easter because of all that we have to be thankful for. But the truth is, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, we've got two other major holidays coming up. Do you know what they are? Black Friday and Christmas, <laughs> where we immediately rush to do more shopping because we need more things. In a world furiously running after perfect circumstances, Christ invites you into contentment. Second invitation is to fight the good fight, and I'm not talking about the kind of fight that ends up in a melee afterwards. Paul makes two statements here. First, he says we ought to pursue some things, but also that we ought to enter a good fight. What he's reminding these first Christians about is that Christianity is not a passive lifestyle where we sit around all day just trying not to do bad things. Not at all. It's an invitation to pursue something great, to throw our energy and resources into great and good things. He gives us a list here in verse 11. Right living or righteousness, making wise choices, which is to say that these people have fewer regrets and bruises from life at the end of the day because of the decisions that they made. Faith, the ability to trust God. Do you know how you get faith? By stepping out, by doing something, by taking a risk, by going for something that God has called you to go after. You only get faith by moving forward. Love, unconditional love, the experience of grace and forgiveness on a daily basis. Endurance, that after 10 years in, you can say, I'm still fighting the good fight. After 25 years, I'm still fighting the good fight. And gentleness, not mowing people over, but coming alongside people with the kindness of God. Then Paul uses that phrase, to take hold of eternal life, suggesting that it's possible for you and I today to experience eternal life now. The blessings of eternal life today. Part of our fight, part of what we are pursuing is to get as much of heaven into this life now. Yes for you. In fact, if you're experiencing the list that we just looked at here, right living, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, those are all in the experience of heaven today. But also for other people. Do you know some people in your life who could use some heaven right now? I had a call from someone this week who was overwhelmed. Uh, there was a major health and a major financial crisis all in the same week. And he called me and was very upset. And I was reminded again how cruel life can be sometimes and how cruel people can be to each other sometimes as we talk. And this grown man calls, and he's sobbing, crying. And I'm thinking about this list. And I was thinking, you know, he could use some right living. He's going to need to make some wise choices in this time. He could use stronger faith to get through this difficult season. He could use some unconditional love and forgiveness to help him get through this mess. And he could use some endurance he could use some gentleness, not judgy people, to walk with them at this time. And he thought, he needs some heaven right now, 
in his circumstances. And maybe you know some people. They need the same thing. This is the fight, the good fight, that Christ invites us into. Third invitation is to know God, to know the God who gives life, or to rediscover who God is. Um, if I had to give you a quiz, um, which of these pictures both describe the God that you grew up with? Which one kind of best captures who you think God kind of is? Kind of the curmudgeon guy with the finger pointing at you? Or Bob Goff, who's got his, he's sitting in the back seat as happy as could be? One of the reasons I think people think Christianity is irrelevant and boring is because they think God is irrelevant and boring. So many people in the Christian life struggle with kind of get to know who God is, and this is an invitation to know who God truly is. I love Paul's reminding the vision of the Christian life is full, it's rewarding, it's engaging, it's flourishing, and all of that is because this is what God is truly like. God has given us so much, and it's meant for our enjoyment. Think about this beautiful season that we're in. Think about the weather that we've had, this beautiful creation. When you go outside and see the wonder of creation, that is God's gift to you. And the feeling that you get when you see that is the, is the way that God wants you to feel. He longs for you to enjoy all that you're seeing. He's given you gifts and passions and abilities. And when you use those and the joy that you feel, that's his gift to you. So whether it's standing in front of a pile of lumber getting ready to build something, whether it's standing in front of um, a group of people and teaching a classroom and getting excited about that, whether it's a brand new Excel spreadsheet open on your computer and you can't wait to organize and figure some things out, whatever that is, whatever that joy is, that's God's gift to you. And he wants you to enjoy it because that's what he is like. The whole idea of a Sabbath, a moment to stop and to remember God's goodness to you and be restored and to be renewed. The gift of laughter and joy, seeing a wedding of close friends, seeing people doing the run for the cure and joining together to support one another. All of those feelings that we experience when we see that, that's what God is like. And he wants your life to be marked by that. And then there's a person of Jesus, and as you read through the Gospels, you get this sense of what God is like walking right around in front of us. Did you know they criticized Jesus for being too liberal? He hung out with the wrong kind of people. He went to too many parties. He ate too much. He had too much fun as far as the religious community of his day was concerned. Because even though Jesus came to walk the road towards redemption and salvation, he did so with joy, making friends along the way, reading scripture and talking about it, weeping over lost friends, enjoying meals with people, taking a Sabbath rest, providing wide at a wedding, funny stories with spiritual meaning, grieving over family and friends who passed away, spending moments in deep, fulfilling conversation with his heavenly father. He lived a life of joy. How do you view God? Is he a God of joy who longs for you to experience it? Last invitation. An invitation to be experienced a new rich. People in Paul's day were like us. They struggled with the age-old temptation to allow the riches of this world to be more attractive to us than the riches of Christ. But Paul says there's another kind of way to be rich. There's another way to be rich that goes beyond possessions and beyond money. 
There's a young couple, and they're feeling the pressure to keep up. They've just graduated from university. They've got huge student debt. They're driving a beat-up old car that their grandmother gave to them. They're living in a small apartment, and they're feeling discouraged compared to everybody else in their friendship circle. They get asked to help out with Christmas ministries and to provide some food and groceries for people in need. They're given some names and ages of a family, and they go out and do some shopping for them. They come back and put together some groceries uh, in the form of a hamper that will be a gift to this family over the week of Christmas. And after they're finished, and they're driving back to their place, they feel rich in a new way. Richness that comes from serving other people. Richness that allows you to be content and to go to bed at night free from worrying about what everybody else has. A richness that comes from demonstrating God's goodness to other people and to continuing to fight the good fight. A richness that comes from knowing that God has given you gifts And that greatest gift is himself. So this Thanksgiving, our hope is that you would just experience a great sense of richness because of God's goodness to you. And that would just kind of overflow from your life to the lives of people around you. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful that it's, it's your desire for each of us to know your joy, to celebrate it, to share it. We pray that on this Thanksgiving Day that we would be so mindful of the big ways and the small ways in which you care for us and that we would remember more than anything that you've given us these gifts because you love us and we pray this in your name.